When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat-treating ovens available. Find your next oven at evenheat-kiln.com. To the chopper! Hey, welcome to Knife Talk. This is a podcast for knife makers, knife enthusiasts, you know who you are. I'm Jeff Fader of Fader Knives. With us, as always, is Mareko Momasi of Momasi Fire Arts, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives, and we're here to, you know, fool around and talk to about you and talk to you, not talk about you too much, talk to you, answer your questions, and, you know, give us some, you know, mild entertainment. Well, it's you know you know tumultuous week. It's it's this is there are high highs and low lows. Starting in being uh, attacked by a dog um, on Sunday, and then just the normal work falling upon a very somber, uh, solemn week for us. Nine eleven uh, just passed, and uh, as a you know native New Yorker, my wife and I actually lived in Brooklyn at the time, and we were uh, we were on the Brooklyn Queens Expressway when the second. When the tower, when the first tower was um, had been hit, and we actually saw the second plane being hit, and it's you know growing up in New York and being in uh, being in New York during September 11th is a very uh, you know solemn time, and we were very grateful to the firefighters and the police department and and first responders, and and um, we do a lot for you know to support them and um it, it, it's a for me and my wife even though it's been 18 years it's still like i'm talking about it now and i'm getting goosebumps it was um one of those things unfortunately for us fortunately for hillary and i we didn't have any direct um relationship to people who were actually in september in, in the twitch uh, world trade t- uh, towers when they went down but when i was working at a restaurant we knew you know we had friends who had were had friends who were uh at the windows in the world the restaurant on the top and i know a lot of friends of mine who you know were in wall street who knew people who you know perished and that was a very very solemn time and um for us and i'm always very grateful to the the um as a new yorker it, it was a it's a bizarre thing and it was a horrendous thing and i get i take you know this that particular day very very uh i'm very very i'm not a solemn guy but that's one thing that like i'm a uh, very very solemn about and i actually i'm i talk to uh you know i make jokes about the kentucky stooge jared thatcher but i mean that was one he and his friends you know enlisted into the the military after September 11th and we have a lot of listeners who are first responders and police officers and veterans and firefighters and I'm very grateful to um to them and I we do as much as we can to support them and one of the things we do is I'm involved with the police department the fire department here at Peekskill and we do a 5k um the first weekend after September 11th and we do it every year and 
we, it honors it's really to you know honor the 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 money raised goes to these um these these things for kids that the police department does like um caps and stuff and it's great but we honor um two widows of uh, uh one is a uh uh, police uh, a police officer's wife who had who had lost her husband and also a firefighter's life so i get involved with that and i joy and my wife and i ran the 5k and it was a really great community experience but at the same time even though you know it's been 18 years and it's uh one of those things that um you know it's a it is the it is the you know it is a very solemn mm. part for Hillary and I. So we do whatever we can. That, and that was fun. And then I went to a party the night before, and I might have before the race. And I was wearing a leopard skin suit, and I might have had too much to drink before the race. And then um, the the high the lows are low. And I'll talk about getting attacked by a dog during the beef segment. But the highs were high. My um my uh, and this is very you know interconnected. Uh, I. Uh, I talk about listening to radio a lot, and, and growing up, I listened to uh, uh, this great show called Opie and Anthony. Opie and Anthony started out as a New York radio show, and it became syndicated and went to satellite radio, and um, it was Opie and Anthony. They uh, did a, uh, a morning show, and then uh, and then it was really kind of, you know, there's Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony. They're considered the, you know, the two big brands and the two big uh uh, you know, but highlights of, of, uh, talk radio and Opie and I, and I have been kind of like, you know, talking through our podcast, which is hilarious. And he announced that, uh, he, on his last podcast, the Opie radio podcast, he told, uh, Carl Ruiz, who I do a lot of work with that. He's going to come up here, um, uh, to uh, make a knife. And that was really, really unexpected and exciting. So, um, uh, and you know, and then that was, you know, high, you know, that was recently, uh, you know, Joe Rogan said that if it wasn't for Opie and Anthony, mm-hmm. there would be no Joe Rogan, uh, the podcast. So he, uh, you know, Opie is, uh, one of the guys who really kind of started the, the podcast, I don't know, helped, you know, bring the podcast craze mm-hmm. to where it at, where it's at. So tell us about what you're doing Wednesday night. Haven't you got, um, a, a big event planned? Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, that's another thing. Like it's never ending. It's never ending. It's it's like a little bit daunting. So um, I got asked by my friend. Oh, and we got a little funny thing too. By the way, the people of Valencia once again are not happy with me. So um, I uh, the paellas turned into a thing, and my buddy John Sharp, who owns this restaurant, uh, the Birds All House, said, "Hey, we should do this Oktoberfest in October." Where it's a big event in Croton on October fifth, and it's like thousand people or something like that, and they come and drink beer and their food stalls and stuff like that. And he says, you know what? I need something to do that kind of really get me back in the enjoy being in the restaurant business. How would you like to make paella for this thing? So I'm like, yeah, sure. So we met up and we both got these, you know, uh, thirty five and a half inch diameter pans, and these things are monsters. And we decided let's do a practice run. You don't want to just show up there, so. We decided to do a night on Wednesday night. We opened up the restaurant, and I'm going to cook in the beer garden. I'm going to cook a paella in the beer garden for his restaurant. So it's turning into a peak skill thing, and, um, you know, so there's a lot of planning involved, and, you know, I got to make paella for, like, 50 or people. That pan, is, it's like an above-ground pool. It is massive. 
It's you know what the you know what the funny thing is is like I've had the eighteen inch ones and the twenty three and a half ones and I'm just like all right well this is the only one that you can get that's I mean you start going past thirty six inches and it's like you're in the thousand dollar range and it's like customs mm. like they're the paya pans are thin and usually inexpensive but because it's so big and because I know that steel you know steel sheets ship in like or you buy steel sheets easily in like four by eights mm. it's becomes it becomes an issue of size so you're getting specialty order steel so if you go past 48 inches you know, you're looking into big steel so i got the i thought that the 35 and a half pan was going to be just enough i didn't realize that how i my math is not good so i imagine that going from 23 to 36 wasn't a big jump Oof. it's a fucking massive yes, jump yeah. so it's like it, it's it's a massive jump in the in the whole sense of uh, we had to like my daughter was helping me with the math. We were, you know, we were like, it was like a fucking math. We were like, you should bring it to the math teacher. I'm like, ah, bring it to the math teacher. You'll fuck yourself. <laughs> so I got cups and I was measuring the volume and we were having to do a lot of math and we'll see. I hope it all goes. I'm, I'm afraid of, I'm, a, you know, so we'll see. Will, yeah, that's the end. Of will that. that need multiple burners? Or we just can have this big I actually got a, uh, there's these things that they sell in Spain. It's like this three concentric rings and it, it's like a grill it's like a it's more like a, a fl- uh, it's three concentric rings and the biggest outside ring is 24 inches and then there's one in the middle and then there's one in the oh, center yeah, yeah. and they work on three different burners and the funny thing is the burners are in spanish so i'm always asking my wife what's c is you know what's a it's not on and off it's like it's all like it's in Spanish. So I'm like, I'm like, hey, hell, what's A again? Which one's off? A or C? So I don't even, re- I never remember. And then what it does is it gives you a very uniform heat. So they're actually, that's what uh, like Jose Andreas uses, uh, who's like my goddamn hero, the uh, the chef who's you know feeding all these people and he's using these giant paella pans. They're using those paella burners. It's a very efficient way to cook large pans. So I got one of those and it's going to be great. Nice. But, nice. You know, terrifying. <laughs> That's this week's paella yeah. news. Yeah, and I got I got a I got a message. I got a message from an asshole saying I'm from Valencia. He might be listening to the podcast. And if you're if I said you're an asshole, I apologize, but not really. <laughs> so he he said uh he said I'm from Valencia and we're very close-minded in regards to what paella is and, and what's in the ingredients and I'm a fan of your knives, but this isn't paella and then he wrote enjoy your rice. That's what they that's what they <laughs> the Spanish call it. If if you call it paella and they don't think it's paella, they said rice. enjoy your rice. So then I looked at his Instagram page and I noticed he had a a man bun and I thought, you know what? It is crazy to go, you know, send a message to a person and say, you know, don't do this. This is, you know, you don't, you know, your parents. So I just responded back. And I said, lighten up, Junior. I think your man bun's too tight. <laughs> and that was it. Not another peep. Nice. Not another peep. Not another peep. It's like, you know what? You're not. You're fucking staying in Valencia. You're not coming to Peekskill to eat this shit. So don't worry about it. But I, I it is hilarious. Pissing off our listeners one by one. Fuck them. <laughs> fuck them, man. Come on, man. Listen, I was in Barcelona and I had paella, and I was warned. Tomer from Florentine Knives warned me. He's like, Barcelona is not known for their paella, and he was right. Hmm. It was like a sloppy piece of shit on a plate. So <laughs> anybody, anybody, and I, the best food I ever had in my life was in Barcelona. But I stayed away from that paella. So, hey, Valencia, I'm with you. You stay over there, I'll stay over here. We're all good. (laughs) That's enough of that. It's been a long, long week. So when we stopped recording last week, I jumped straight in the car, because we were in the UK, jumped straight in the car and we drove to France. So that was like a 15-hour through-the-night drive. 
Um, I tend to do all the driving so my wife sleeps and she's rested to look after the babies when they wake and so on. And it's taken me all week to get over that. It really has. So it's, yeah, I've been quite sluggish all week. But um, we've been doing a lot of uh, pictures for the website. So one evening we put the babies to bed early. Right? I did pictures for the website. Um, been planning this this new website for a couple of months now because basically the old website was, it was a store. And to be honest, I, I don't sell many knives like through the store that way. All my knives now are restaurant orders, that kind of thing. So that it's time to sort of change the website and for it to almost tell the story of what I do, you know, with, with a focus on an audience of chefs and restaurant owners. So so, so that, that's what I've done. It's taken a bit of time, but I've sort of managed to get the content how I want it. Um, nice. But we didn't have any pictures. So we're like, right, we need to get some pictures. So... It's dark now. I mean, we can't take pictures in the daytime because the, the, there's babies crawling all over us and it, it, it's just, it's, it's no fun. So we're like, okay, we'll, we'll do these moody shots at night and we'll try and light them in, in some cool way. So we ended up we're taking a few hundred pictures and we, we picked sort of three or four that we're really happy with, which I've used now on the website. But um, it looks as if it's quite calm there. But in reality, my wife was sort of hanging over a shelf you know, one leg in the dip tank and it, it nice. was a hell of a mess, hell of a mess. And I'm wearing, you know, flip-flops, which you can't quite see. And, oh, it was, yeah, we, we got there in the end, but it was quite fun. That was quite fun. Um, what else am I? I'd be, I went to Tier again. So um, I've, I've talked about Tier before on the show. It's sort of the knife-making capital here in France where the whole village, everybody's knife-makers. But I needed to go there to get some some laser engraving done on the on these specific knives. And um, whilst I was there, I thought I'm going to do a, a folding knife workshop. So the the Whoa. yeah, and we we always talk on the show about if you want to learn something, go to a workshop, go go to a class. So I thought, well, yeah. I, I'm there. It's you know, it's a couple of hour drive. I've got all day, so I'm going to go and spend a few hours at this workshop. And it was it was a laguiole workshop. So you make basically you make a traditional sort of laguiole folding knife um so i i I thought i'm I'm gonna be sort of undercover here you know i'm not going to tell them that i make knives because you know it was there's grandmothers there there was kids there there you know it was it was it was an introduction i suppose um but it was basically putting a knife together you weren't making the knife it was it was an assembly thing um right. and it turns out that that's most of the knives the laggy old knives being sold that way people are just buying the bits yeah. in and just putting them together um didn't really learn anything and no yeah i've had a few messages from people saying what did you go there to one learn knife making and it, it did feel a bit like that it was it was very very strange so yeah i've, I've got a bit of a a bit of a beef with with laggy old knives anyway because i just don't, don't think the quality is there they're, they're respected throughout the world and i i don't think it's it's uh deserve well deserved. they're not they're you're not there for this event you're not their prime target no you're not no. the guy they want grandma and uh some kid to put together a knife exactly, i mean that's yeah. a yeah it's a different situation and then and then didn't you eat something that was Pretty amazing. That's coming up. That's coming up. We've got, we've got right. a special there section. There you go. Radio tease. Special section. Radio tease. There you go. KTP News. So this is what's happening in the in the world of knives. Um, what's happening in this week to come and what's happened over the past week or so. Um, regarding news, we launched something new this week. Knife Talk, the podcast, we launched EDC, which is 
the EDC stands for everyday content. So for, for months and months now, we, we get these messages from people saying, oh, you should do twice a week. You should do what you should do these things. You know what you should do. And we're like, oh, we would love to. We have fun doing the show. All three of us love doing the show and we learn a lot. But it's a massive time suck. It takes so much time. So we're thinking, how can we get around this? How can we put up more content without having to spend you know, another few hours a week doing this kind of thing? So we decided EDC. So... Last week, for example, we recorded a few more extra Hey Mark and Ask Your Questions, and we answered listeners' questions throughout the week. Um, we'll probably do the same next week, but, you know, it could change up. But there's going to be content, basically, every weekday. Um, and this isn't going to be a full episode like this. So this is our regular sort of Monday morning episode, uh, which generally goes on for sort of an hour and a half, sometimes up to two hours. Um, but the EDC content is small snapshots every weekday so sort of five ten minutes and we'll either give you a tip or answer a question Um, and it's just a way for us to put out more content each week and it seems that you guys like it so we will be carrying on well what did you guys think about it me personally how did you think listening listening to listening to it listening to it back because it is interesting considering you know here break down the fourth wall everybody we were actually uh you know we record this and then we record the questions at the end Shh, don't, how did don't you tell, how did you don't tell the what? public that ah come on man what do you think this is fort knox they need you know they're allowed to know i mean they, they get in they need to get into it what did you think of how it sounded i'll be honest i think that en- go ahead that's what we want <laughs> energy was lacking i think we did a two-hour show last <laughs> yeah. week we did a two-hour show <laughs> then we're like right then let's record these extra questions and um yeah Particularly Fridays, it sort of ended very abruptly. <laughs> yeah, Friday, <laughs> it was like Fridays. Okay. You did, we we got to put a little bit more pop into these questions. I think so, or into these little segments. So I, I uh, that's what I thought. I thought. All I could think of was like, I remember that time I was ready to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> we recorded that one. It's time to go. Get through it and get out. Yeah. So, but I'm, we're gonna put some more pop into the next one. The ones. advantage of doing these, I think, is we often get asked the same questions over and over again. So what we can do. Um, if it's a question we think, you know, it has value to people, we, we can answer that and it's up there then, it's up there, it's almost like an archive. People get to that just one question if they need to. So that's the idea behind it and, and, and hopefully, guys, you like it. I really, really, hmm. I really, really, really hope we pick a question that all three of us just say, I don't know, and that's the end of it. <laughs> like a, less than like a 15 <laughs> second, like a 15 second episode. Welcome Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, blah, 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 blah. Uh, how do you, how do you make uh, you know, titanium, blah, blah, blah. Fuck you knows. say, I don't know. We all say, I don't know who the fuck knows. And that's it. One time we got to sneak in a 15 second one. One time. Uh, I don't know. Go ask somebody else. <laughs> and any other news? What's coming up this week? Well, we're once again uh, maker the maker camp on Instagram uh, October uh, Columbus Day weekend eleventh through the fourteenth October eleventh through the fourteenth. Um, Jimmy Daresta has wrangled a pile of people to come to Blackthorn uh, Resort in Eastern New York, and uh, <clears throat> I got word that some. Some uh, English blacksmiths are going to be there. I know Moonshine Metalworks is going to be there and the Modern Forge guys. And there's going to be a lot of famous YouTubers are going to be there. So if you want to come for the weekend or just for the day, go to um, The Maker Camp. We'll be there with uh, the Modern Forge guys, Cliff and John and and Jesse. And then there's going to be like, what is Jackson Jackson Woodwork? Jack, 
Jackman Woodwork's going to be there, whoever that guy is. Sorry, dude, I hope you don't listen. And then uh, <laughs> and then uh, all of Jimmy's guys, all of his regular cronies will be there, and, and uh, it'll be fun. We're going to have some fun. Yeah, yeah all, his, all, his, all his hangers on. <laughs> you, well, would know, I say that with peace and love? They're good dudes. They're all dudes. So while you're in your cabin that you've, you know, you're you calling it, yeah. a, you know, a, a maker's meetup and whatever. Um, but while you're... Maker camp. Maker camp, exactly. While you're, you know, relaxing in your cabins, um, in two weeks' time, we've actually got a, a listener uh, meetup, um, oh, which really? I think is the first, the first Knife Talk meetup. So, um, Jake, who is JR underscore knife maker on Instagram, he owns a woodland in back in South Wales, which is where I'm from. And he's got a meetup coming. And I know there's very limited space. And I think there's maybe just maybe two or three spaces left if anybody wants to come. Um, it's on the Saturday night. Um, and then we've got a screen for the next, since the Rugby World Cup starts as well. So we've got the Wales game on the, on the Saturday morning showing in the woods. Um, and it's going to be fun. There's going to be good food, good beer, that kind of thing. So wait, you're going to watch, you're going to watch the TV in the woods. Yeah, apparently so. He's got electricity. How are you going to do he's that? He's got a full, he's got a full setup. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. And rumor has it, there's going to be an ex Welsh uh, British Lions player who's going to be there as well. Um, so it's, it's going to be a good weekend. So if, if you're interested, wow. get in touch with JR underscore KnifeMaker on Instagram. He's very active in the Knife Talk forums as well. And I think he's got a thread about, about the weekend. So you can go and take a look there. So, yes. Will you be there? I'm going. I'm flying over to go. Yeah. So I'm Whoa. So so how many people do you think are scheduled to be there already? I don't. I think it's only sort of a dozen or so. It's, it's you know, he, oh, it's not a mass. He doesn't want that whole place overrun by people. So it's just, you know, a small bunch of people. We're going to have a fire, have some good food, have some good beers and, and that kind of thing. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Nice. So, yeah. So while you're relaxing in your, you know, in your luxury cabins, we're going to be in uh, hanging from trees and, you know, in bits of rope, that kind of thing. It'll be fun. Listen to me. <laughs> uh, Chris Cash has is wrangled one cabin, I think, for all the blacksmiths. And we will not be. It will be, in my opinion, in my prediction, it will smell terrible. <laughs> Mongo like beans. It will smell. <laughs> it's going to smell horrendous. Oh. And I'm going to be miserable. And I'm, I'm, I'm just putting that out there. Fair enough. I'm not, I, I am going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to have, you're going to see me with nose plugs, ear plugs. I'm going to have a sleep mask or I'm going to fuck away off at night and go somewhere else. I'm not 100% sure, to be honest with you. you we'll see. You could be one undercooked muscle away from an absolute nightmare there. <laughs> All these people. <laughs> there are no, hey, listen, I'm making paella, but I'm sm- you know what? You're very smart. I'm, I already decided I'm not doing anything I could get anyone there's this is going to be a different style paella because i'm afraid of all the farts mm. they're going to be in that in that <laughs> i'm going to go like real easy on this this is a meat and potato situation and there will be nothing that is going to i'm doing this out of my fear of the horrendousness i'm not going to fu- you know what am i going to give these guys raw oysters before we go to bed forget it i'm going to we're going to we're going to be i'm going to i'm being very i'm very conscious of that thank you very much no bullshit no beans I gotta. I have got to make this menu, not for them, but for their for my for my exposure to their aftermath. Oh, so geez. this is a totally one hundred percent self indulgent and selfish paella. This will be a selfish paella. Designing a menu for how it's going to come back out of people, not the way. It's That's going right. In. That's Reverse right. That's the menu. right. 
<laughs> I am completely. I sit around. I'm like, I'm not gonna make this shit because they're gonna they're gonna stink the joint up. So I have to like make this as, you know, you know, easy to go down. So it easy to go out, and I don't have to deal with it. I don't want the aftermath. Combat abrasives make the world's best abrasive belts for knife makers. Available in any size and at unbelievable prices. Go take a look at CombatAbrasives.com and get 15% off with the promo code KNIFETALK15. Do it now! He he really likes to spit the words out at the end. Listen. He really, you know, that he's like his, his lips are flapping. His lips are flapping when he's spitting those words out. But it's important what he said. Remember, it's now 15% off anything there at CombatAbrasives.com. Where it used to be 10%. They were very, very happy with all the business they were getting from us. And now it's 15%. So you'd be a fool not to. Do it now! <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Knife Talk 15. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, Jeff, you mentioned um, something that I ate this week. And this is yeah. starting to become something, something part of the show. Hey, cuties. Yeah. What's the best thing you've had in your mouth this week? So I'll yeah, start. Like that sounds like an old woman right there. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. I'll start. Oh, Jesus Christ. So we- that sounds like grandma. <laughs> Hey cuties! I mean, it didn't. What's the best thing you've had in your mouth this week? I mean, uh, the brief was a sexy voice, but I'm not sure she pulled it off. I was like, I was like uh, Kathleen Turner. I was like Kathleen Turner from uh, from uh, when she was on Broadway a couple years ago. I was an old lady. Come on. So, um, as I said, I've I've been very just very tired this week, getting over the long drive and so on. So yesterday we decided I'm I'm going to take the day off, and we all went out as a family. Um, we went to this place, Brantome. It's beautiful 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 place on the side of the river and there's a, an amazing restaurant there and this is this two michelin star restaurant and we, we, we sat on the bank opposite and there's a little boulangerie just around the corner um and boulangerie they're everywhere here boulangerie selling the best cakes and all the rest of it so I thought, i'm just gonna pop there and get something to eat i'll be back now and what i bought was this well it, it, was, it was it was a milfoy so it's got you know all the layers um, but it had the topping of a creme brulee. So they had the sugar and they burnt the sugar on the top. Yeah. This thing was the best dessert I've ever had. And I just I ate this on, on the bank of the river, you know, just, just out of my lap. It was incredible. So that's the best thing I've had in my mouth this week. Oh, baby, that sounded like that. That, 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 woman's, <laughs> na- that woman's name, that, the woman who read this segment, that her name is Milfoy. That's that's who that woman's name <laughs> Milfoy. is. Milfoy. What about you? What's the what's the best thing you've eaten this week? After I ran the five k yesterday, they had the uh, they had all these little. Uh, they were giving away food. They had a hot dog cart, and I was like, "Fuck it! I haven't had a lot of meat lately, so I'm gonna have a hot dog." Growing up, hot dogs. When growing up, I had a hot dog guy who I used to get. Um, I used to get like six hot dogs, and then I'd put them in my pockets. And then when I'd go to the movies, <laughs> telling you, wrap them up, sweaty hot so dogs. <laughs> I go to the movies because I, I was I, I had on my coat. I'd put, I'd go to the movies and I'd unwrap these hot dogs, and it was like the best thing ever. Watching a movie and you know, pull out a hot dog in your pocket. So, <clears throat> so they had on a first date. <laughs> No, I didn't say, hey, baby, you want a hot dog? I didn't do that. There was none of that. 
There is no hot dog. This is a complete all multi all multiple hot dogs bought were in the, in the privacy of myself. I wasn't buying. I wouldn't go on a day's hey, Let's get a couple hot dogs and put them in our pockets and go to the movies. <laughs> That's that's crazy. That sounds crazy. It, it is actually it is pretty lewd if I if I did do that. But it is true. I loved it. So I, I hadn't had meat in a while, and I had a, I got a hot dog, a dirty water hot dog, and uh, with sauerkraut and mustard. And God damn, it was good. The, the the wet hot dog coming out of that water went in the bun, softened the bun up. The hot sauerkraut and the and the mustard. Oh, fucking thing was great. Nice. That's hard to beat a good hot dog with mustard and, and sauerkraut. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the three of oh, us, the three of us love food. So, listeners, put hashtag best thing in your mouth. Show us the best thing you've eaten this week. I could spend all day just looking on Instagram at food. Now, most days I do anyway. But uh, yeah, send us, send us the best things you've eaten this week. So we're, we're forty minutes in. We haven't really started yet. But we're going to do Good. we're going to do a new section. So we do this Hey Man Kanashu question where we we try to answer listener questions, but they're generally pretty pretty quick. We you know we get the answers out. Um, so I thought we'd do something called a deep dive. We'll have a deep dive question each week. Let's take a deep dive. Motherfucker. Fucking, <laughs> <laughs> she's back. Milfoy's back. So I'm going to start with back. a question this week. Jesus, Grandma. <laughs> with the, without the constraints of budget, and if your resources were completely unlimited, how do you think your business would change? And where would it be in five years? What do you think? Okay. Jeff, you've got unlimited resources, as much money all as you could right. ever want. Are you, right. First of all, are you still making knives or are you on a beach somewhere? Uh, that's a good-ass question right there. That's a good-ass question right there. I'll tell you what, if I had... That's the, the caveat is you have to be in the shop too, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you, you can't, can't say, I'm just on a beach. Yeah, that's that's a, you can't just take the money and fuck away <laughs> off, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to be in the shop. All right, so I'm going to focus on labor. I'm going to have a lot more people in here doing... Um, doing specific things. I want a grinding station. I want a hand sanding station, finishing station. I want the fabrication station. I would do that. That would be number one. I'd have everybody, I'd have groups doing that. And you'd be in the relaxation would, station. I would be, uh, you told me I had to be in the shop. <laughs> I, I, I'm setting it up, so I'd be, I had a limited amount of time. So I want to, f- I'd focus on packaging, my packaging. I'd focus on the business end of the marketing. I want, be- I want more marketing. I want to do more direct sales on a higher scale to so the point where I have like, um, you know, I just want to build up and my biggest problem right now is labor. And I'm just, I'm just multiplying that by, you know, if I got unlimited money, it's still going to be the labor, you know, mm-hmm. buy the machines, buy the equipment and stuff like that, but it's always going to be the labor. So I really want to focus on not just you know, paying a dude cash. I want to have, I would want, I only hire people with the concept of, I want you to grow with me because every time I've been in a metal shop, uh, you know, if it's a really good metal shop or if it's a really lousy metal shop, there are incentives to make sure people stay. Otherwise what happens is you learn, the guy learns, he learned, he's bored, he whatever. And then he fucks away off to make your knives somewhere else. So I'm really interested in the idea of <clears throat> creating a team that will grow with this company to the point where they're going to want to stay here. And they're, and part of that's going to be, uh, I think that that's one thing that we we think about just like, I'll give this guy 10 bucks an hour and he's going to help me and then he'll leave. Yeah, yeah. I want to make sure they create like a very cohesive team. And I think that that's super, super important. Um, I have an idea that I might as well say, cause I'm never going to do it. I've always wanted to do like a higher end knife, but also make the equipment 
make the tools to make that knife and sell the whole thing. Mm. So I make the tongs, I make the hammer, I make the knife, and then the customer gets all of it. I've always thought that would be a fun thing. Like you make the hammer and then you use it to make this knife and then the whole fucking thing gets sent. So like this person not only gets the knife, but they also get the tools, This you know, a couple tools. I'm not going to send them like tong clips. They don't care about tong Some clips and like, you know, <laughs> ass scratchers and stuff like that. They, you know, yeah, use belts. I'll just send them a box of use belts. Hey, combat abrasives. <laughs> that would be unbelievable. It's all wrapped. The, the, all the bubble wrap is really cu- old belts. Hey, there we go. We figured it out. Maybe there's going to way to use the old belts as like a p- packaging material. <laughs> That's the best. All of a sudden, they're going to open up in their packaging. Like, what the? What is all this bullshit? Like, oh, Jeff thought it would be sympathetic. You'd be, you'd like the fact that you sent you all the stuff that you used to make it. All the scale falls out onto the white carpet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's all. What is all this? What is oily rags? What the fuck? Yeah. Oh yeah, he thought you'd like it. So uh, yeah, empty empty soda bottles. The whole thing. We just throw the garbage. That's how we're gonna. No more recycling. Just throw your trash into the packaging box and tell them it's artistic. Yeah. There you go. So that's 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 it. There you go. No, um, whatever. There you go. That's what I'm gonna do. Nice. <sighs> How's that? What about you, Craig? You like that big deep sigh, nice. Craig? Deep dive. If you had no, mo- if you had all the money in the world, let's take sit a deep back. dive. Oh Jesus Christ! That girl. I should talk about someone who ate some combat abrasives. She see <laughs> a little bit. See a little bit. Uh, all right. What would you do, Craig? So this question stemmed from basically my wife asked me this because we've done a lot of head scratching over the last few months. Of you know, she's she's sort of joining the business, doing a bit more work with me as well. So you know, we're, we're always trying to work out exactly where we're going. So, so my thing is, I've been out and I've seen probably five or six dozen restaurants over the last six months um, you know, trying to sell them my knife, you know, working with them on a design that's specific to them and all the rest of it. Um, and I'd say 90% of them have, uh, we've already mentioned, uh, Laguiel knives. And, yeah. I'm th- and I was trying to get my head around, why are they all using these knives? And I think the reason is it's a brand of, I shouldn't really say brand because Laguiel isn't a brand as such, but it, it's, it's a name that people know, and weirdly, they associate with quality. And I was thinking, well, what other brand of cutlery knife, you know, culinary knife, would there be? You know, so a customer could sit down and say, oh, this is a quality piece. I, I know these. And I was thinking, there really isn't one. So, I mean, if you think of other household items, like, for example, a vacuum, you know, there's Hoover, there's Dyson, and there's, you know, the Shark, which is the new one. There's these brand. People recognize the brand. And I was thinking, there really isn't any for for cutlery really um whether it's in a restaurant or whether it's in the house i'm thinking well surely there should everybody uses multiple knives every day why isn't that a recognizable brand so i'd want to be i want to be that brand and that's that's you know it's 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 a very huge huge goal but it's something that we're, we're focusing on um and i think particularly for restaurants to begin with so you know how do you go about doing that and that's been the big question really how do we go about doing that so there's the obvious, you know, getting a recognizable shape and all, all these different things. Um, and, you know, scaling it, because at the moment I'm, I'm the only one making here. My wife helps, but she doesn't help with the sort of the making. So, th- I mean, the obvious way is to get everything manufactured, but then I just become, you know, somebody who puts knives together, which is not really what I want to be doing. Um, so it's a case of I'd want a mini, a mini factory. So, yeah. and, you know, and... Th- People will then say, well, then it's no longer handmade. Okay, well, maybe not. But, I mean, 
the difference is with with a normal factory made knife is that they're made to a budget they're made to uh made to a certain cost but i changed that focus to be the focus would be on quality so they wouldn't be cheap factory knives they they would be expensive but i'd have full control over every single part knowing that is the best quality it could be because you know my thing would be i'm not trying to make the the, the cheapest knife that i can make i'm trying to make the best knife that i can make um, so I think that's what it would be. I'd get, you know, a huge mill that does my bevels. I'd get, you know, ev- everything would be manufactured, but, you know, to a degree where I control it. Um, and I think that would be the way to get, you know, a lot of knives out there um, to a very high standard. Um, and that's it. So then Chop would be a, a household brand name. People would know the name because, you know... like xerox exactly exactly and it it, it does amaze me that there's not a household brand name you know for something that we use multiple times wherever we are whether we're going to a restaurant or whether we're at home it's crazy it's crazy so yeah so that well if you limit unlimited resources that would be the goal it is interesting when you think of like companies like kleenex or xerox uh, ipod these are all such iconic words that Mm. are synonymous with I, you know, or synonymous with the, it's like the pinnacle of that thing, not that Kleenex is, you know, anything to sneeze about, ha, ha, ha. Uh-huh. But uh, it's, but I mean, it is interesting that you, you know, there isn't like a, there isn't like a, that uh, in the night. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of, uh, ah, I think it's great. I think it's great to think of that, that, uh, that higher, higher purpose of your business. I think that's, you know, that's mm. great. That was the deep dive. Deep dive. So we're going to try and do this every week. So I think mm-hmm. next week, Morocco, if you come up with a question for the three of us, um, and we'll, we'll see what we can come up with. Oh. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? All right. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? This is the time in the show where we get you to submit questions for us, and then we try to answer them. So if you follow us on Instagram, uh, Knife Talk Podcast, will you can dm us your questions and if they're if they're good and we haven't done them a million times or whatever we'll read them off try to answer them try 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 we'll try to answer them oh yeah so the first one is from eaton wells artifice um and he says hey man can i ask you a question i'm struggling to get an even etch on a bulky maker's mark can you give me any tips I tell you what, I, I, one of the things I kind of starting to, I get nervous about is that maker's mark. Mm. What do you do? I don't anymore. I get them lasered um, simply Ooh. because it's, I can never get it perfectly even. And, you know, even, even down to the placement, making sure the placement's in the same place every time. It, it, it just takes a lot, a lot of time. So I now get them laser etched. Um, so they're perfect every time. So you, you, you'll send it. You'll send it in. You'll you'll make a batch and bring them to a guy, and then they'll bring them back. Or um, well, I drive there. They they done while I wait, and then I drive back. Um, so how many do you normally do at a time? You can do as many. I mean, I've I've had some done with very specific things, or even you know initials for you know a customer. You know, one offs. You know, or you know, I, I drove down the other day and I got 120 done, of you know with a chop logo. Um, wow. Yeah. And and it's beautiful. So it's you know it's it's perfectly you know it's got the darkness of a mark, um, yeah. but it's got the the depth of you know of being engraved. And it's you know huh. it's going to be perfect every time. It can it's, detail can be super super fine. 
But I, I struggled with an etch as well. So I started off using the um, those little etchomatic things, the little handheld things, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was just never right. Then I then I got this paid a bit more money for this German machine, which which does give a great mark. But it to me, it's that setup time. You know, having to put your your template on, making sure it's in the right place each time. Um, and weirdly, I get lots of questions about this because I probably about two years ago, I I used to print off my own templates. I had this this brother printing machine. You can buy template stencils for it, and and I put up a video showing how I do my etching. And even now, I probably get over a dozen questions every week um, asking um, where can I get the tape? Where can I you know? And and similar questions to this, it's never even. And I say, well, you know, what are you using? And people are saying, well, I'm using, you know, cotton buds and I'm using salt water. And I think unless you're really going to invest in using a proper etchant solution, um, getting good templates made, it's never going to be perfect. So you, you just got to live with what you've got, unfortunately. You right. know, it's That's the way it is. I started using the uh, templates, uh, the, the stencils, and I had stencils made. Hmm. And in the and then what I did was <clears throat> so the way it works and I'm gonna butcher this and so I'm sure someone's gonna you know let me know I'm doing it wrong. So you have a you have a positive and a negative and you hook your ground to the steel and then you have this uh, stencil. Usually they're mine or blue and then you put it where you want it to go on the steel and then you get uh what is it what is it it's not called an etching it's called a uh acetone acet uh, 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 electro electro elect- it's like an electrolyte isn't it so it lets, electrolyte electricity That's right. pass through yeah so there's different electrolytes for different types of steel and what you can do is you can uh based on the kind of steel you're using you want to make sure that you got the right one because mm. some of them don't work like when i got my kit it came with like three or four different electrolytes based on the steel that you're using. So if you're not getting it that deep, it might also be the electrolyte. The other thing is, is it's, there's a, there's like a positive, there's like a, uh, there's a etch and a mark. And if you do the etch, it goes super, super deep. And then the mark is like what Greg gets is just kind of a light. It's just a light marking on the, on the, on the, on the steel. So what I do is, and it's terrifying because the problem is if you have too much electrolyte underneath, you know, when you're putting it, Mm. when you put the, uh, wand, you have a, so you have the, the, you have the ground on the steel and then you have a little, uh, wand for lack of a better word. And then that you wrap it with, uh, uh, padding and then a rubber band. And then you put the electrolyte on that and then you dab the, uh, the stencil and what happens is it either marks or it etches. So you, you know, you got to go back and forth and they give you a cleaning solution. You make sure it's clean and you, you just got to have the right, you got to play with it because the, the worst part is that if there's electrolyte gets under the stencil, you will make the marks of wherever your tape is. Yeah. And you got to resand it on that sucks. Yeah. I think it works whether it's AC or DC, the current that you have one will mark and one will engrave. Um, so some machines will do both, so you can you know right. engrave, then mark over it, so you get a nice dark etch. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I do is I do etch first, and then um, I do four seconds and take it off, and then wipe everything down. I, you you know, Mareko was telling us about a trick a while ago where he uh, had a piece of tape over the bottom like a hinge, and um, you can open up the flap and look, and you can wipe it down and clean it off and um, and then uh, you know go back and forth. Do, do you it. do it? 
you do it till the, as deep as you want to go. If you want to do it a deep etch, and then at the end, uh, you clean it off. And if you hit it with um, that mark, that will um, get you a darker at the bottom of your etch. Yeah. And we should probably say now that we're having some technical difficulties, and Mareko is is, um, <laughs> is 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 got kicked off of Skype. So he's uh, he hopefully he'll get back in. We'll sneak him in when he comes in, but. Uh, that's that's how these things work these oh, days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But regard to regards to getting an even etch, um, it depends. I mean, I've seen people using just a twelve volt battery and some salty water. You know, you'll get yeah. an etch, but it's not going to be even, and it's you know, it depends what you use in um, practice and get a system working for you, and just repeat that each time, really, because it's going to be different for whatever machine you have. I I I get I'm much more confident now with the etch, but I usually have a a good pit in my stomach when I do it because of that reason. I don't want to get mm. if there's like where the tape line is, that's where the water goes, and or if there's like a rip, those stencils get rips real easy. So you got to make sure that you 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 know your stencil doesn't have any creases in it because then all of a sudden you get like a you know you get a little line and you know they they're pretty pretty hard to take out. So. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, the only next step up from that really would be uh, a laser marker. But you're talking sort of seven, eight grand really for something, and you know something that you're not going to use that much of. Um, so yeah, stick at it, but it unless you have access to a laser elsewhere. Yeah. In regards to this, to what uh, Eton Well says, is he's struggling to get it even. <clears throat> mm. I would imagine that if he maybe he should play with the different electrolyte. Yeah, you know, maybe he's not. Maybe if it's not even, maybe he's he either the. Oh, the other thing is, is when you get your stencils made, you want them to be the same. You know, be completely covered by your wand. So if your wand, I don't know, if it's called a wand, but I'm calling it a wand. Hmm. It's like uh, an inch by half an inch. You want to make sure that you know you don't want. It's not like a paintbrush where you you know you're doing coats. You know, you want it to cover. You want your wand to be able to cover your stencil. So if it's bigger than your stencil, it's not going to go on. It's not going to etch evenly. There we go. Does that make sense? Yep. There we go. Right. Might want to not do some Damascus questions until my <laughs> man comes back yeah. in. Do you want to introduce the next? Uh, okay. This comes from Howling Wolf Forge. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? What are your standard size? What? Is, what? Ugh. Sorry, everybody. One more time. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? What is your standard handle size on your knives? Also, what's the best thing you did this summer? Ah, <laughs> uh, standard size. Um, do do. I'd say for a chef knife, it's about about five inches. Um, a powering knife, generally a little bit bigger. Um, so it's five and a half, six inches for a powering knife. Um, simply because the way you hold the knife is is obviously very different. Yeah. And and a table knife, probably just a shade under five inches. Um. Mm. But completely depending on on the knife itself, um, but generally a powering knife will have a longer handle, certainly for my knives anyway. Right. Well, I was going to make some lascivious jokes, but I've been getting messages from fifteen year old, fourteen year old listeners, and I'm starting <laughs> to get a little bit. Uh, I'm getting a little gun shy on the on the you know you know your five inch jokes. Oh. That sounds good to me. You know, I sometimes I try to. I I, I the funny thing is, is I think about. I think about the handle size based on uh, how I cut out the, the I, how I cut out my micarta. So I always, I, when I'm cutting out the scales to cut, I always leave at least five and a quarter so I have enough room to cut away the material. Hmm. So yeah, five inches is all you need. Oh, all and that, all, 
That's all that is a restriction of mine too. So the G10 sheets that I, I buy, they're generally sort of five and a half inches um, long. So, that, you know, it's perfect. Then I can just cut these up and I know I've got something good. But yeah, it doesn't need to be any bigger. So it's all good. P.S. That's a good point. Uh, G10 and micarta, when you're buying that material, you want to make sure that you have maximum amount of space. Mm. On the on the you know you can buy she, usually when those little you can go to some guys and they'll send you a strip, and the strips are always more expensive than if you were to buy a sheet. Yeah. Now if you go usually they come around just about under twelve inches. You know they're like eleven and a half, but you can buy sheets of G10 and micarta, and they're far cheaper when you buy them by the sheet. And then when you rip them down, you want to make sure that you're maximizing your size. You know, if you know you you need, you know, 10 and a half inches all day for, you know, two scales, you want to make sure that the sheets you have meet your needs and you're not wasting anything. Yeah. And a bit of a tip. I know we've got tips coming up later. Yeah. But, um, I'm finding that they're destroying my um, bandsaw blades. 100 through g10 so get yourself they're only really cheap um the ceramic tile cutters um they're like little table saws but they're made for cutting ceramic tiles they'll rip through g10 perfectly and uh, they don't uh, dull the blade i want to ask you more about that because i end up buying a lot of circular saw blades hmm. and when i they when i cut wood they're cut like crazy but when i start to do that g10 a lot it destroys them yeah. And I heard about the tile saw blades. Now, when you're using the tile saws, and tile saws in the United States aren't cheap. They aren't cheap. Oh, right. Okay. But, but do you use water when, you, uh, when you're cutting with the tile saw? Yeah. So, I mean, I can get them here for about sort of 40 euros, which is near enough $40. Um, and, you know, they haven't got a water feed on them. But I just I just put a little bit of water on my on my G10 as I put it in, and I think it's down to the teeth. So the the teeth are super super fine. Whereas on my table saw, which I cut wood with, um, you know that the TPI uh, teeth per inch um, is, is is a much lower level. So the the ceramic tiles they've got really really just loads and loads of teeth. Um, so I think that keeps maybe the heat down, which stops the the teeth degrading. I'm not quite sure why, but it just rips through G10 like perfectly and i i don't cut thick g10 because i don't, generally don't use thick g10 anyway i'm using sort of one or two millimeter g10 so i don't know how I, it would fare with thicker stuff i don't know i would think that the water also keeps the dust down yeah exactly yes yeah stops the dust yeah because all stuff. right i'm gonna get Messy a tile saw i'm Messy gonna get a tile yourself. saw i'm gonna get a tile saw there we go the next Does one is look, from wait excuse me does it look like Marek, are you in the house or i see yeah, yes, he's we back. hear you. He's back. All right. You are. You can finish off this question then. So uh, what is your standard handle size on your knives? Uh, so this is the handle size, that start like starting size? Yeah, it's like standard handle size. So your normal sort of chef knife, what, what, what would be the length of the handle? Yeah, so because I'm... Because I'm working with uh, integral shifts, knives basically exclusively, um, that bolster area that I have on my knives uh, reduces the amount of handle material I actually need. So, like, I think the standard handle length is about, or handle block length is about five, five and a quarter inches or something like that. Uh, I only need, like, four and a quarter inches length, which is nice because it gives me a little extra that I can use later as spacer material for mm. like a Japanese style handle or if I'm like 
happen to be making a wedding band or something, I can use it as a liner on the inside of the wedding band. Um, but then the actual grip size, I have pretty good size hands and the, the, the belly side of the handle is maximum like th- three and a half or four inches. It, and, but you know, it varies from so much where? depending on the person I'm making that knife for. Hmm. Three um, and a half from where? On the belly side. So from, from the, the choil of the knife where the heel comes down to where my pinky, where, where I have that kind of like that curve, that flip down at the, the butt end of my handle, uh, where my pinky is, that, right. that area is, I think uh, most commonly is about three and a half inches, three and a quarter or three and three quarters. Um, and, but overall length, I think the actual overall length of my handle from the top of the bolster, the top of the integral bolster to the tail of the handle is like around five and a quarter inches, five and a half inches. Right. But that's because I have kind of like those extreme angles on either end. Mm-hmm. But my, my knife blocks, I like, I can get a, I can get away with pretty tight tolerances. Usually around, if somebody wants to send me a handle block, uh, like a customer, I, I tell them that my minimal minimum uh, dimensions are uh, what is it, inch and a quarter by uh, one inch by four and a half inches, um, mm. and I can I can usually get a, a handle out of that. And it's all about just drilling good straight holes and. You know, making sure you know where the tang is so you don't get lost because I've definitely accidentally bored or ground into the, the kind of the tang slot in, inside the hidden tang handle. And that is a major bummer. So the yeah. second part of the question, we can rapid fire this, is what's the best thing you did all summer? Oh. Uh, wakeboarding. Something I'd never tried before. We did wakeboard. The family mm-hmm. were over. We did a lot of wakeboarding. That was fun. For me, it was for sure hanging out with my buddy Tomer in Barcelona. That was, I had a great time with my family. <clears throat> we did a lot of fun trips and stuff like that. But mm. going to Barcelona and seeing the city and hanging out with Tomer and spending time with Tomer and his wife, Noam, and his little son, Lev, that was the highlight of the summer for sure. Nice. Yeah, yeah I think, yeah, for me, I mean, my highlight for the summer is definitely moving back to Washington, basically. I mean, we still got another week left in the summer, but I, you know, it, even though making the move was hard, um, it, it does feel good to be somewhere that feels like home, right. um, back in Washington state and have, uh, you know, have so much family around and their support and their love and, um, yeah, just, just feeling good with where we're at. So that's good. That's very important. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. Nice. All right. Okay. Here's one from silver tip forge. While forging, what is the best way to get longer blades as straight as possible before normalizing and heat treating? I think this is probably a good one for Morocco to start with. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so he's working. So if I'm reading this right, he's got a, a long blade and he's struggling with keeping it straight. I think. Um, I don't know. I think the biggest thing you can do is try to forge as evenly as you possibly can from side to side. Which I know for me was a big struggle for probably the first couple of years, and I at the same time struggled with uh, the blade being uh, as straight as I would like it to be. But I, I I found that as I've gotten better at forging evenly on either side of the knife, whether it's Damascus or mono steel, um, 
it, it does help with keeping things straight and seeing straight, uh, you know, down the spine and down the belly. Um, because when you have a tendency to forge too much on one side or the other, it, it definitely kind of dictates the way the blade curves if it wants to curve one or the other. Actually, sometimes, um, say you're forging only along the cutting edge on the right face and then you flip it over and then you're only forging on the spine side of, of the left face, you'll actually create kind of like a spiral or a twisting effect in the blade, So, which is definitely not desirable because that is a huge pain in the ass to try to fix and straighten out. Um, so first thing would be to forge as evenly as possible. Second thing is um, especially... I, I like having a some sort of white background. I have sheetrock right next to my forging area. So having it something that's in stark contrast to the knife um, helps you better be able to see the knife and, and you know, what the, where the lines are at. Uh, another trick that somebody showed me once is to take a piece of soapstone, which is uh, just uh, a, a soft kind of stone or chalk that a lot of blacksmiths or, or metal fabricators keep handy in the shop and what you can do is strike the soapstone down the spine side and the belly side and so if you don't have that high contrast then um, you can just look against usually like the concrete floor and at that point now the spine of the knife or the belly knife whichever one you've struck uh, is in contrast to the dark concrete floor and you can also get a look at um, where your alignment is. Uh, it's, I don't know how to really articulate how I spot, you know, figure out where spots are, uh, that need to be corrected. Um, but you just kind of like, I don't know, it takes practice more than anything. It, it gets easier with practice and time, but, um, I don't know if that was a very helpful answer. It was helpful because no. there is, you know, you're, you're, you're controlling the mass and you have to control the mass evenly. There's also lots of little blacksmithing tricks that I, I sure. get messages from guys who one guy asked me how I do uh, my bottle openers. Cause you have a, you have radiuses on both sides and he didn't understand how I was able to forge in radiuses on both sides. There's different parts of the anvil and there's different tricks you can do. It, just because sure. you're using a hammer and an anvil doesn't, that doesn't mean everything. Like if you have a twist and you can't, you don't have to use the hammer to get the twist out. You can put it in a vise and you can straighten right. it with crescent wrenches. There's, yeah. there's lots of little things, you know, I know that you could put it in the vise and, and, and just kind of slowly, slowly work on it with a crescent wrench to kind of fix things up. The other thing is, is the normalizing isn't, you know, once you finish forging, that doesn't mean you can't touch the knife again. Like when right. I, when I normalizing three times. Every time you're you there, the steel wants to move a little bit while I take it out of the oven. I'm able to kind of like flex it back and I kind of like repair it, you know, with just two pairs of tongs, straighten it back and then do it again. And then the same thing. If there's a little bit of twist while it's still hot, you're not changing the grain structure. If you give it a little bit of persuasion, you know what I'm saying? Sure. And then by the yeah. time you do the third time, if it comes out straight, that's the other thing about normalizing is if it comes out straight after, after it's the last section of normalizing, that's a giant indication that you're not going to have problems in the quench. Right? Yeah. 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 I've so one thing I've started changing about the way I do my kind of thermal cycling and pre hardening is that I do my low temperature, my basically my subcritical anneal, I do that out of the forge by bobbing the knife in and out of the forge and keeping at a very low but hot temperature, like around twelve hundred degrees 
Fahrenheit. Um, and while it's at that temperature, I have, you know, I'm, I'm right next to my anvil and I have a small hammer, so I'm not overdoing things, but I, you can just do these tiniest little tippy taps to kind of straighten things up as you're bobbing in and out and you have that little bit of heat. And uh, that's been working for me to get things uh, just like those final little uh, you know, things that you can do to, you know, straighten it out. And, uh, and, and after out of, out of heat treat and everything, it's still coming out perfectly straight. And so it's not, it's not dramatic, I guess, uh, movement of material or compression, like real forging. It's just little, little tinks to, to, you know, to make it straighten out. You're also better off taking your time while you're forging. Yeah. Uh, yesterday I was making a pair of pliers that were giving me a lot of fritz and I was going back in and out and in and out and in and out. And I was doing tiny planishing hits to kind of just clean it up, clean it up. You don't, yeah. you don't just because you fin it, it looks like a knife. You don't have to say, all right, well, it looks like a knife. I got to stick it in the, I got to heat treat it. You can take your time, light hits. Uh, you don't have to, when you're forging, you're not, you know, you're not going over your shoulder with the hammer. You do planishing hits like Mareko said. You do nice, yeah. easy hits to kind of like, you're straightening it and tuning it up and tuning it up and tuning it up. And you, at lower temperatures, you're not, you're going to, you know, just take your time. The most important thing is take your time and don't be daunted. Hmm. Yeah. There you go. So I don't, I don't forge. I, as people know, I, I stock removal, everything that I do. Um, so it's not directly related, but if I, when I'm heat treating, if I do have some bananas, I'm basically doing uh, batches each time. So what I'll do then is I'll get the whole batch and I sandwich them and I've got these sort of uh, quarter inch plates or six mil plates. Um, I'll use like a metal G clamp um, and put them all together as one. So it's, it's like, you know, like one big three inch thick knife. It's all these, all these knives together. That sort of straightens it out, and I put that into the temper, the whole rig into the temper, so they'll temper as one big, big unit. So I temper for, you know, longer than I normally would, but I don't think you could do any much damage by sort of over-tempering. Um, and when I come up, when they come out, they're all, they're all straight as an arrow every time. Yeah. It yeah. definitely helps. It def- the temper, you can... There are a lot of little steps in between from that you can use to kind of, like detour the problems like there are little checkpoints and tricks that's the best part is learning little tricks that that you can get bows and twists and all this bullshit out well and going back to your uh, blacksmithing background jeff the flatter could be pretty useful i think actually for a lot of knife makers monster um yeah and uh, great call i I don't have one and i've never used one but i really have lately i've been thinking about the idea of getting a hold of one just for doing, you know, at, at the very end, because you're distributing that force across a larger area versus, you know, a standard hammer face. And, you know, that's helping to flatten, straighten things out. And the reason why guys like Jake Farum, the reason why guys like uh, uh, John Ariani, Sunset Forge, uh, Cliff Dufton, all of our friends, Pat Quinn, the best blacksmiths in the country. The reason why everything looks like it was machined and not forged is because they're using flatters all the time, all the time. And I'm going to give a shameless plug to a friend of mine, uh, Ethan Hardy. Ethan Hardy is uh, also a championship fiddle player, believe it or not. He's a dynamite kid, and he makes beautiful, I think he calls them elephant hoof flatters. 
He's up in mm. Canada. He makes fantastic. I'm gonna. I told him. I sent a message. I'm like, I'm not gonna talk about it too much because I don't want to be one of those guys like I'm gonna buy one of your shits and never do it. I want to definitely get a flatter from Ethan. He's he makes beautiful flatters. Beautiful yeah. flatters. There we go. There we go. There Hopefully, go. some nice. good tips for you all. But we have had tips from you guys too. You hey, you. You know what you should do. I do like that guy. <laughs> I do. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for him to tell me who who scored in the Yankee game. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, first of all, I'm going to give a tip. So this is for one of our sponsors. So if you're doing hand sanding, which most of us are, you're going to need something that's good. So I use the Rhino Wet from Indasa USA, and I'm sure Jeff and Record does, and I'm sure 90 percent of you already do. But for those that don't. Do yourself a favor. Get yourself some Rhino Wet. It'll cut down on time. It'll cut down on waste. You're not just going through lots of shitty bits of sandpaper. This stuff is brilliant. And it, it honestly will just save you time. And time is money. So that's Rhino Wet. And that's made by Indasa USA. But yeah. we've spoken to somebody and we get you a discount. So if you go to Texas Farrier Supply, um, they they sell a lot of sort of farrier-in farrier stuff, um, but loads of stuff for knife makers and bladesmiths. Um, they stock Rhino Wet, and if you use the promo code KNIFETALK10, you're going to get 10% off not just Rhino Wet, but anything else that they have. And they've got everything you need. As a knife maker, if you go there, they'll, they'll get you sorted. They've got everything. So 10% off at Texas Farrier Supply if you use the promo code KNIFETALK10. And one of our listeners brought to my attention that their website was down. I sent a message to Texas, Texas Ferry Supply, and they didn't realize it. So they're up with a brand new website. To whoever our faithful listener was who let me know, you probably saved them a couple bucks. And uh, yeah, definitely. They have a brand new website. It doesn't. It looks great now. Cool. Cool. Nice. Hey, you. You know what you should do? <laughs> I like that guy. All right. This Better is than the that old bat. Show. Yeah. <laughs> This is part of the show where uh, where you guys give us uh, give us your your shameless advice or share some of the advice that people have given you that is not necessarily the best advice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some of our advice, I don't know, but some of this advice, who knows? <laughs> so, anyway, uh, so let's kick this one off with Howling Wolf Forge. He says, "Hey, man, you know what you should do." You should make a 30-minute video describing every single minute, minute aspect of your process, fully narrated as well. So, it sounds like well, that he, must be some well, advice that he was given. I think well, so. he was, a lot of people wrote, expect that, yeah. He's yeah. being sarcastic. He's being sarcastic, and, yeah, it yeah. Was, and, and it is funny because... Recently, I do these progression uh, drawings. I have progression drawing, forged progression boards, and I just put them out there and think, you know what? Young people want to learn how to do this shit. Give it, give them a little bit of, you know, show and tell. I'll get messages from someone who'll say, hey, did you do, hey, that's great, but did you do this yet? And I'll say, no, I haven't, and it's not good enough for them. Oh, well, you should do that now. Like, all of a sudden, it's like I'm giving you some freebies, and they're like, they're like, oh, you, now you got to do this. I'm like, yeah, you don't tell me what to do. I might not do anything ever again. I might, you know, just, you know, don't worry about what I'm, you know, th- be thankful, and then, yeah. you know, leave me alone. You get the same thing. Oh, you, you, you should do a video of this. You should do a video of this knife. I'm like, no, you should do a little research. Had somebody recently uh, messaged me, I think over on Facebook, and they're like, uh... Yeah, he was just asking me about integrals. He's like, I really like how you do your integral guards. You, you can explain to me how you do all that, right? And I've just been looking at that message. And I'm like, 
No, I yeah. don't know. I don't think I even need to respond to this. I think I'm just going to delete this. Um, because, mm. yeah. It's crazy. And then now he's in your in yeah. your head. That's the worst part is he's in your head now. Because I get the same thing. Can you do a tip for me? Do you, do you think you could video a tip for me? You think you could video a tip for me? At you know, no, leave me alone. Seriously, it's not enough. I don't. I don't do enough. Jesus. We've got another tip from Hayden Beck Steelworks. Um, hey fellas, my tip is don't discount. And that's advice given by someone just because they haven't been doing it as long as you. So some newbies pay attention and may pick up on things that even the pros don't know. And you never know what their background is, which may provide them with a fresh set of eyes and a different approach. So you're saying good ideas come from all skill levels. Uh, but basically you're saying, yeah, don't discount if you're just getting into things. Um, I think that's easy to say. But if somebody's just getting into it um, and they've taken, maybe they've yeah. taken the plunge and this is their only income, um, sometimes things get desperate and you need to. But um, yeah, as, as a whole, yeah, I think that's, you know, try not to discount. I think maybe. It's good to be open to other people's opinions and their, don't just discount Absolutely. them just because, you know, based on their veteranism. You know, it's very <laughs> good to be open-minded. I agree. Just leave, just leave me alone. <laughs> I don't want to, yeah, that's it. Go ahead. I'll, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. This one comes from our buddy, Joshua Prince, Prince, For, P- Prince Forgeworks. Buy yourself 1036 grit shredder belts and stop hanging on to those old wore out belts. Also, use a scribe on dark colored timber and rub some chalk over it so you can see it to drill or bandsaw the blocks and scales. I nice. like that tip. Nice. There you That's go. Good move. All right. This one is from DK Forgeworks. He says, soak your forge blades in white vinegar or mix of pH minus uh, from a pool supply store and water to remove scale before grinding to help save the lower belts. That's Damascus Dave. So he's talking about dissolving the forge scale. That's the that's the exalted Damascus Dave, the guy who started this whole pineapple pizza stuff that now i'm still getting <laughs> messages from so there you go he go yeah. to the pool supply store he got he got a, he goes to the pool supply store because he's got a pool so you know there you go Ooh, yeah. how luxurious that boy are you living hey listen dk forgeworks is living a high life don't let <laughs> don't let let his nonsense fool you that is a high level guy right there <laughs> high level go to the pool supply store who the fuck goes to the pool supply store dave <laughs> seriously seriously where is a pool i don't even know where a goddamn pool supply store is i would never in my life say i gotta go to the pool supply store my wife would think i'm crazy there you go. pioneer road sent us a tip um he cleans <laughs> down his knives before tempering with a degreaser works faster than soap and water and no more mist oil that burns on and gets sticky he said that's obviously for oil hardening only I do the same. Yeah, mm. it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like a simple green or something like that? Um, mine is simply just labeled degreaser. It's like a supermarket brand. Okay. It does the job. It does the job. I have a question. Nice. I have a question for you, especially Mareko, for a, a brute to forge finish. Sometimes sure. you see guys who do a super brute to forge, you know, the first half an inch of, from the spine down, it's dark. It's dark. Yes. And I had a thought, yep. and I don't know if this is correct. You forge, let's say you forge a brute to forge knife down, and then you normalize yep. it and you grind, you pre grind the part that you want to be shiny. 
If you were to yeah. temper the knife with a like a slick of oil, would that make the forge scale darker? Like if you want to get like Aaron Wilburn, Aaron Wilburn makes my favorite sure. brute to forge style knives. How do you could you put oil on that scale to make that scale darker? I mean, depending on the style of knife, especially if it's a chef's knife, ideally there isn't actually any forge scale. It's it's got forged texture, but you don't want the forge scale on there because the last thing you want is a big chunk of scale popping off into somebody's food. Oh no, of course, cutting it up. But if you, like but it, let's so, say you remo- but, but to darken it, yeah, you're talking about darkening now, that, right? Keeping keeping that area darker. So there, uh, yeah, it's I I don't really I I've heard like Lin Ray. Talks about how he uses uh, BLO, which is boiled linseed oil, during his tempering cycles to darken up the material. But he also is leaving a lot of that forge scale on. Right. He's not necessarily too concerned about that. When it comes to keeping that area dark, I I really don't have a lot of experience in that area. You, I, I don't know what to. Uh, I don't know who say. I learned this from. But I learned. Maybe we should get. Maybe ah, you know what? I don't know if we should talk to Kasumi. Kasumi if we get Kasumi Kev on this on this program, it might, who knows what kind of madness would happen? He's a scary dude. <laughs> but I had heard that that's the Japanese style knives. You can tell what knives have been oil quenched and what haven't been oil and water quenched based on the color of the uh, forged texture on the spine. I'm not going anywhere with it, but I was under the impression that's how you tell if something's been water quenched or oil quenched is because they leave that dark oiled residue on the knife. Maybe, but I also think there are a lot of ways to create that darkness. Um, You know, I mean, obviously you could do a ferric etch would darken up the material. Um, They might be using some sort of. I don't know, some sort of darkening chemicals, you know, even just using like the coffee treatment on a knife can darken up certain areas of it. And then you only brighten up other areas of it. Um, so I heard that from uh, Jared Thatcher, Jared Thatcher mentioned that he had heard that that's how, that's how a lot of these Japanese knives are delineated. You can see what's been oil quenched and what's been water quenched. And they kind of, that's very apparent based on the color of the spine. Sure. Sure. There you go. There we go. So keep sending your tips in, and we'll read them out each week. Community Showcase. <laughs> God damn. This is the bit where we like to like to shout out about somebody who maybe we follow them, or it's a product, or it's a person, whatever. Somebody that maybe needs a bit more attention drawn to them. Um, and mine is um, uh, a French maker called Brian Rakin, uh, B-R-Y-A-N-R-A-Q-U-I-N. Um, and I've been chatting with Brian for some time now. He gives me lots of lots of good tips, um, particularly with regards to sort of suppliers and stuff when I first moved here. He was very, very handy. Uh, but his knives are beautiful. So you just mentioned sort of brute de forge finishes. His aren't quite brute de forge, but you can certainly see um, see the makings of his knife. Um, and they're beautiful. So he does uh, chef knives, um, mainly with sort of wire-style handles, uh, but he also does hunting knives, that kind of stuff as well. Um, so real sort of rough and ready stuff, but with a real finesse to them as well. So go and, go and take a look. It's Brian Rakin on Instagram. Nice. Uh, Jeff, you want to go next? Yeah, this is a weird one. <laughs> Not a weird one. I'm actually, I got a message about uh, Wendon Sharman. 
This is that's uh, Charmin underscore knives. I got a message from Matt from uh, Brooks Brooks Blades and Society of British Cutlery, and he wrote a dissertation. And I thought the least I can do is read his dissertation. So we're going to talk about this guy. And if, in the future, if you want to write me a very nicely written uh, reason why I should write some, uh, we should give someone a sponsor. I'll read it out. All right. Good morning, chaps. I'd like to make a suggestion for your community showcase. Wendon Charmin. Charmin underscore knives is a British ABS apprentice who makes the most amazing knives. He has built all his tools and equipment and with the exception of his mill from the ground from the ground up in themselves, his force forge presses and rollers are works of art. He makes all his own Damascus and laminated steel, including beautiful patterns. He specializes in outdoor knives, which are best suited in the American market, uh, though he struggles to gain recognition for his work in the U.S. So a shout out to him would be great. He's looking to take the initial ABS performance test in the next year and has recently met up with retired master smith uh, Jim Jackson, who is uh, 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 Wendon is a part-time smith, so his volume output isn't massive, but his quality is always exceptional. Uh, I've recently been lucky enough to be gifted one of his knives. One of our good friends, uh, Andy of Cuddlebrook Blades and Darren of uh, Helix Windows. Um, it's a small neck knife. Uh, he's recently, uh, blah, blah, blah. Please be, thank you. Cheers, Matt. So, yeah, so uh, this guy, Charmin Knives, makes beautiful knives. He's a hardworking uh young British ABS apprentice and I, w- I want to give you a little bit of a, a love for that and if you if you want sometimes you guys send us messages say hey you should give this guy a shout out you give give this guy a shout out you write me a nice little letter a right DM us a nice little thing about somebody I'll read it as long as it's you know some of you guys aren't gonna write well so you're gonna, you're gonna really think it through <laughs> yeah all right I have this week. I want to give some love to my buddy uh, Kelly Rigg. He's actually a blacksmith, metal fabrication uh, fabricator here in Olympia, Washington, and he is a, an, a local, a native, and he is Big Hammer Technology on Instagram. And I want to give him a big shout out and thank you for um, for his help. Actually, this last week when I was making the Damascus, uh, I was in a tight spot. I couldn't. I wasn't able to get my welder going. And so uh, he was gracious enough to share uh, his welder at his shop. So I popped over there really quick and uh, did some welding, BS with him for a while. But he is really a very talented blacksmith. He's been doing it for a very long time. Um, And so I just want to give him uh, a shout out and and say thank you. He's only got 259 followers on Instagram. So if you guys want to go pop over and give him a follow... I'm sure he'd love the support, but also check out his feet. He's got some really, really cool blacksmithing stuff in there. He's also a local teacher in the area. He teaches uh, he teaches classes, blacksmithing cl- classes and courses, tool making and stuff like that. And whenever anybody asks me, you know, what is the best way to get into knife forging and knife making? I'm like, if you want to forge knives, learn how to blacksmith first. Because learning how to manage material, like you said earlier, Jeff, is so key and so important and he's one of the best if not one of the only guys teaching blacksmithing courses in the local area around here so i think it's i think blacksmithing classes are going to be are going to be more uh i think people are going to there's more of a demand the problem is is oh for sure the problem is is you know not just finding guys who learned everything on youtube to teach the classes so that's the that's the problem we've got beef (laughs) <laughs> this is our this is the time of the show where we're fucking pissed about something and we want to let you have it <laughs> yeah, does anyone have I'm a gonna, beef 
I'm going to donate my beef time to you, Jeff, because I know what you've got to say. And I can imagine you're going to go on a bit of a rant, so I, I'm going to donate my time to you. Me? Let's go on it. a rant? <laughs> so we talk about the <laughs> fact that we're working really hard in these shops, and what happens is is we try to designate time for our family. So last week after the podcast, my wife said, let's go for a hike. So we went for a hike near Bear Mountain, and the parking area was very close to the road. So we grabbed the dogs, and we got in the car, went parked the car by the highway where you're supposed to park, and we started walking in. There was a guy who had a big dog, and he could not control the big dog. The big dog got off the leash and came charging at my wife and small dog, Bessie. And it was terrifying. It was terrifying because this dog was huge and very very aggressive so my wife who doesn't walk the dogs like i walk the dogs i'm very like i get very like i look and i'm very like a not aware but like i get nervous about who's around and stuff like because my dogs get a little bit crazy so my wife is swinging poor bessie around this dog is all over her, and i'm i'm far enough away that i can't really do anything at the moment the guy who had the dog had a cane, could not, he wasn't going in to help anything. And I did something oh, that geez. I even think about it. I think I, I remembered my buddy, John Ledford, who's a dog owner, who's a, he's got a, a, a Malinois and who's a very, very, he's understanding of dogs. He told me in these situations, it's brutal. It's hard to do, but you got to let the dog go. So instinctively, and I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about it. Um, I said to you, Hillary, let Bessie go knowing that you got to give the dog a fighting chance. Mm. So I let, she let the dog go knowing that we're 50 feet from a busy highway. And we thought, I thought that dog is either going to maul the dog, my dog on the leash or attack my wife. And we let her, Mm. Hillary just let her go, started screaming and the, of course, Bessie went to run away. I wanted to give her a fighting chance, and she ran into the road. Luckily, I don't know what the fuck happened. I had we had oh, this shit. guy who was there with his wife and their dog. The guy who I don't know, he was like, I mean, the baddest motherfucker I'd ever seen. Grabbed the big dog by the collar, and luckily, Bessie ran by a car, and her leash went between the the road and the oh. tire, so she got she didn't run into the fucking uh uh she didn't run into the road, but she I mean mm. so I ran over and and I grabbed the dog, we grabbed the family, got it out of there, and I didn't say a word to the guy. The guy who grabbed the pit bull, sorry, you know, let's just be honest. Um, not that there's anything wrong with being a pit bull. I I got well, I'm going to talk about that in a second. So. They grabbed the dog, and then he started lacing into this guy. You shouldn't be... I didn't... We didn't pay attention. I was super happy. I was holding our bigger dog, who's kind of a pain in the ass, and she just, like... She, like, came to attention, and the whole time, she stayed by my hip without any problems. She usually freaks out. She, like, really was the VIP in terms of, like, all right, I know we got problems here. I'm just gonna, like... I'm gonna behave, and and she was awesome. We got into the car, we're all freaked out, and then I had like massive, like emotional panic attacks the rest of the day because I thought, you know, I knew that (laughs) telling Hillary to let the dog go and Bessie's an awesome dog. There's a very good chance this dog was gonna get killed by a car or Mm -hmm. mauled by the other dog. But at the same time, I can't, I can't. The thought of losing my wife. Who I mean, I've just been through the ringer with, 
is that's not it's not an issue either. So it was really really hard. It was really really tough. We we decided that we're not going to do any outside uh, hiking anymore in these areas where they have other dogs. And I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, man, I don't care what the dog was. I love all dogs. I don't have a problem with pit bulls. I have a lot of friends who have incredible pit bulls. I am a fan of pit bulls and other dogs. It is never the dog's fault. It is always the owner's fault. The owners of these motherfucking dogs should have, they should, they they shouldn't, they should have licenses too. Mm. It's like, it was, it was the worst case scenario and we were super, super lucky. We could have lost son, you know, Bessie was so freaked out. She could have run, you know, not only run the road, but run away. You know, it was really like, and my daughter was there. My wife was in a panic. I was having like, I mean, it was the worst so what did the owner say did the owner apologize uh, we he fucking didn't even look at me he was an older guy he he was like i mean i hate to be stereotypical but it was like a very stereotypical older guy with long hair and a hat he looked pretty grimy it was like he wasn't looking at me but the guy who grabbed his dog just started putting his finger in his face because that guy had two his wife had two small dogs and she was like you know that dog was going to go after the smallest dog and it was uh, it was Bessie. So I can't tell you enough. I can't. T- so we, it was, a, it was rough because all of a sudden it's just like, you know, you love your dog and you love your family and you love your wife. It became Sophie's choice, but it wasn't that much of a choice. I was going to let, I told Hillary, let the dog go. And she was smart because she could have been, we, they all could have been fucking mauled. Mm, you know, oh, yeah. we just got fucking, I mean, it was the, I mean, sentencing your dog to death is how I thought about it. Like, yeah, that's it. You know, it was, it was brutal. And it was like, it was terrible. And and I cannot tell you enough how grateful I was to the guy who grabbed the dog. I was grateful to the, the person who helped me with Bessie. I was grateful for my wife for, you know, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to drop your dog off the ledge. And that's what Mm. she did, you know, but it was, you know, you, you, you stop with the fucking dogs off the leash. You're not smart enough to know that that dog's triggered by a squirrel or a smaller dog. You're not smart enough. And I don't and I know and I got a message immediately from uh, um, Jonathan Porter, who has an inc- Millie is an incredible dog. This dog is an incredible dog. But even he said to me, I leash the dog in public because a kid could come up and just do something. That Millie isn't ready yeah. for. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, you're you're not you're not. You're not a, a canine trooper. You're not a fucking a genius. You're not the dog whisperer. You cannot, you can't trust that your dog is going to do the right thing all the time. And it was like, it was the worst case scenario and it was really, really fucking horrible. Thank you for, I submit my time and thank you for tolerating that. <laughs> Fuck. No, um, it's just scary. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've been in I that situation and it's, yeah, it's scary. Oh. Your heart's pumping and it, you, and you know you made the right decision. You got that split decision to to make. You know, I got lucky. The right call, and you did. I got lucky because I got lucky because John Ledford was the one who said you got to do it. You mm. said, "Yeah, I was in a dog park. A dog comes up to me, and you got to give the dog a fighting chance, and either to fight or to get away or whatever." But you know, the problem also is when these dogs are on their leashes, they're extra aggressive. So, like my dogs get aggressive at other dogs where when they're both in a leash. I think it has to do with like. They know that mm. they're they're uh, incapacitated by the yeah. leash and they can't like work out the dynamics between dogs. But mine's the same. Jesus yeah. Christ! Come on, man. It was it, we got we all got lucky, but it was a it, it Sunday was like you know I might as well have gone to a psychiatrist afterwards. I was a fucking I was having like these uh, I was having these uh, cry I was having a crisis of like you know life and death and dogs and family and all this bullshit. And now I'm I'm sure <sighs> that was too much. It's too much. 
Yeah. So fuck yeah. you, dude, with your uh, fuck you, you old bastard. Fuck <laughs> you. Fuck you, your dog. Look, your dog did what your dog did. You're an asshole. Complete 100% gaping fucking asshole. I hate you. There we go. Beef out. There we go. There we go. Morocco, have you got a beef? <laughs> Follow that one up. I don't think I need it. No, that's... Yeah, no, I think I'm good. Yeah, yeah. This week's Follow therapy session was brought to you by Even Heat, Texas Fire Supply, Bombard <laughs> Abrasives, and Indessa USA. I am drained. <laughs> that's, I am drained. that's an episode. So remember, we've got episodes coming all week, um, our little short EDC episodes. You don't need to subscribe anywhere else. It's the same sort of channel, if you like. Um, but do us a favor, pop on which, whichever site you use to listen to our uh, podcast, pop on, give us a review. It's fun for us to read them, and it also helps with us climbing charts and getting discovered uh, by more people. It's not fun for reading some of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not all. <laughs> not all of them are fun to read, but, you know, that's how it is. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.